0: Well, open your Bibles. We're going to be over in Luke, Luke's Gospel. I saw this uh, little story written up. What if God had voicemail? Most of us have now learned to live with voicemail, kind of a necessity of our lives. But have you ever wondered what it would be like if God had his own setup? So here's an example of one that God might have, have set up. Thank you for calling heaven. For English, press 1. For Spanish, press 2. For all other languages, press 0. Please select one of the following options. Press 1 for requests. Press 2 for thanksgiving. Press 3 for complaints. And press 4 for all other inquiries. I'm sorry, all of our angels and saints are busy helping other sinners right now. However, your prayer is important to us. And we will answer it in the order in which it was received. Please stay on the line. If you would like to speak to God, press 1. If you like to speak to Jesus, press 2. Holy Spirit, press 3. If you would like to hear King David sing a psalm while you're <laughs> on holding, press 4. To find a loved one that has been assigned to heaven, press 5. Then enter his or her social security number, followed by the pound sign. If you receive a negative response, please hang up and try again. For reservations at heaven, please enter J-O-H-N, followed by the numbers three one six. For answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, the age of the earth, life on other planets, and where Noah's Ark is, please wait until you arrive. Our computers show that you have already prayed today. Please hang up and try again tomorrow. The office is now closed for the weekend to observe a religious holiday. Please pray again on Monday after 9.30 a.m. If you are calling after hours and need emergency assistance, please contact your local pastor. (laughs) Thank you, and have a heavenly day. (laughs) Well, thank God we don't have prayers to go that way. Thank you. Thank the Lord that he has given us some things in his word, and even though technology may change, the way we reach heaven is still the same. We've been talking about power and authority and looking at the difference between each. We're kind of bouncing back and forth between power and authority, instead of just dealing with one at a time. We're going to be back over in the area of authority. Last time we were over at power. Remember we told you this, power needs connection. Authority needs confidence. We looked at the lame man, the pool of Bethesda, last time. We saw that Jesus is not attracted to those in need, but to those in faith. He does not assume by our actions that we desire to be healed, but by our obedience to his commands. But our actions that we take sometimes yields a specific command from God to obey. Remember we saw the man, he kept doing the action of coming to the pool. Even though other people had to bring him, even though other people, he had to set it up with other folks to to do this. Even though when he got there, he saw other people who got into the pool and got healed, and he did not, and he had no one there to put him in, he still came. We talked about how that is a repetitive action, how we have a routine, and we need to respect that routine. We need to stay with that routine. When we have a ministry, when we do something for God, and there's a routine to it, do not downplay it. Call it legalism or anything like that. When you have a routine that God has given you, you stay with it. Now, there will be times that you veer off of that routine. But in order to veer off a routine, you must have one. In any ministry that you're at, you will find that you have a routine. Not just this church, but other churches. You need to honor that routine. You need to stay with that routine. Because as you continue to go through the routine, all of a sudden, a command may come. A special command, and that command needs to be followed. When you do follow it, power comes. That's your connection to the power source. We use the worship team as an example. You folks have a routine. You have a routine we put you through on, on Sundays, a routine at the at the practice. You have a routine as far as the things that you need to bring, the things you need to do to prepare. It may be the same each week, different songs, but it may be the same. same type of preparation, the same type of places you go to, the same things you need to bring. All these sort of things. But if you don't follow the routine, how can God give you something specific beyond that? The better you know what the routine is for that particular Sunday. And I don't just mean routine. Like we're going to do three songs. We're going to do the first, second, and fifth verses. We're not talking about that kind of routine. We're talking about that God has given you four or so songs to, to, to lead people, people worship in worshiping. And as you are going through, you know those songs. You also know other songs. And as you're going on through, God may say, go this direction. And you can listen to that. You can, you can follow what it is that God is, is doing because you're prepared. There's preparation that you, that you need to have, that you need to go on. Well, we saw that this lame man at the pool of Bethesda kept doing this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks to him. And, of course, he says, do you want to be made well? And he doesn't really answer the question. He goes on talking about what his obstacle is to health. To, uh, to get in the pool, because the pool was stirred up by the angel, there was a connection made once the first person got in. Connection was made to the power, and they got healed. I have no man to put me in, he said. And he said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. We looked at some particular things that the Word of God said about how he responded to that, got into that last week. <clears throat> but he did it. He didn't argue. He didn't say, I can't do that. That's why I'm here. I can't get up. He went ahead and did it. We looked at what God asked, for, asked him for. And So often we want God to respond to the actions we are prepared to give. I'm prepared to do this. But that's not what he wants. He will respond to the obedience he is prepared to receive. Because he is God. Often the command we receive from God is something that we are unable to do, unwilling to do, or can do, but don't think it will do any good. Don't think, overthink the response. What has God asked you to do? And go ahead and do it. In Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and talked to multitudes from the boat. Now, it says that there were two boats there. There is no one in the boats. They're over there washing their, their, um, their nets. If you want to find out who owns a boat, the fastest way to find that out is get in it. Right? If you get in the boat, who's going to come to you? Hey, hey buddy, what are you doing? Why, that's my boat. Why are you in my boat? Right? They're, you're going to do that sort of thing. So he saw two boats. He picked one of them happened to be Simon's. And so then he asked him, once he found out who the owner of the boat was, and he's probably looking for it, he's getting in the boat to find out who the owner is. Once he sees somebody perk their interest up, or maybe John said, Hey, hey, uh, Peter, <laughs> you see this? And he goes on over, says, Hey, can I use your boat? Can you push it out a little bit from the land? <coughs> and he sat down, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So this is the first request he makes. Can I use, I'm paraphrasing it, but basically he's saying this, can I use your boat? There is no promise of a harvest. There is no, nothing with this. He just says, can I use your boat? It's more of a request for a favor. Hey, I need a favor from you. Do you mind if I use your boat? Peter submits to the request based on what? What causes Peter to submit to this request? He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know that he's anybody special. He doesn't know that he's a healer. He doesn't know that he's anointed by God. He just knows he's some guy who got in a boat. Wants to teach the people. Needs a place to be able to do that from. It seems to be what he does this out of is out of kindness. Because Jesus has sown nothing into him. Jesus has spoken nothing to him. Jesus has not ministered to him in any way. It seems to be. It is just a thing of kindness on Peter's part. Don't ever overlook being kind to anyone. Never overlook being kind. Kindness goes a long way. And not just the people that you don't know. Kindness goes a long way to the people in your family. Kindness goes a long way to the people that are friends, people at work. Kindness goes a long way. Be kind to the people around you. How many times have uh, we not been kind? And it's not based on anything that's wrong with the person that we're not kind to. We're just not in the mood. I'm not prepared. I don't want to. Something else is going on. But don't do that. Lead with kindness. In verse 4, so he gets in the boat to be able to speak to the people. And what he has to say is so important, it is completely left out of the Bible. I mean, how many sermons of his do we have recorded in the Bible? Not all of them, nowhere near all of them, but we have a number of them recorded, but not this one. Not recorded. Verse 4, When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I have not been to this particular shore, but I do know that this particular place has waves because we know that it has some waves and has sunk some boats before. But if you ever go down to the, to the shore around here, if you go down to New Jersey, if you go down to wherever your favorite spot is, and if you look out, one of the things we would, we would see when we're in the summertime is the uh, lifeguards would have rowboats. Now, they've motorized them in some places, but still, if you go down to Ocean City, Ocean City still has rowboats. And if the lifeguard needs to go out into the deep, into the, into the ocean... He takes that, life, that, that boat. It's a good-sized boat. And it's got oars on the side, and you, you, you paddle. And he pushes out, and he takes those oars, sinks them down into the water. But there's a particular battle that is in front of the lifeguard. Anybody know what it is? Got waves. <laughs> you got waves that are coming ashore. And you got a big boat, a lot of surface area. Those waves hit the big boat. And they keep pushing the it back in. Plus, you're going up and down, up and down. Because the boat doesn't sink into the water. It always stays on top of the water. And you're battling this. So just to go out into the deep, it takes some effort. Even if you have sails, you still have to paddle out a ways before you can put your sails up. But these guys were fishing boats. So they have to paddle out past the breakers to get out into the deep. They've already fished all night. They're already tired. And Jesus says, put out into the deep. We're not talking shallow water here. We're, we're going out where the fish are. Go out into the into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Now look at Simon Peter's answer. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, we have toiled all night. We've been working hard here all night long, and we've caught nothing. How many times have you heard faith messages, and they teach you to deny what has happened? But here's what Peter does. Peter says, hey, here's, what, here's what's gone down. We are out there all night long. In that particular spot. We fished all night. Got nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll go out and do it again. Now, do you get from his response that he, have, that he has high expectations? <laughs> I get from his response that he has low expectations. But we're going to go ahead and do it. Because I like you. Because your message minister to me. Because I see something. Whatever it is, we're going to go ahead and humor you. We're the fishermen. You're a, a teacher, I guess. But um, you're not a fisherman. He could look at his hands and tell he wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter. Maybe had, you know, still rough hands. But I think there's probably a difference between a carpenter's hands and a fisherman's hand. That's just my my thought on it. He sure isn't dressed like a fisherman. So he says, Master, we have toiled all night. So he's already addressed him as Master. we already changed that part of our relationship. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, we've talked about this in the times past. He asked them to cast out the nets, and he says, I will let down the Net. net. We talked about it before that that means a particular net and probably the worst, lowest quality net that he's got. That's the only one he wants to expose to the salt water again. Because, you know, salt water is a nasty environment. It will eat all kinds of stuff. I don't know if you do any reading up on this sort of stuff, but I do some, some reading in this particular area. And a new bacteria has been discovered or it came, uh, came about that is now able to, to feast on metal that is rusted. Where they discovered this is over by the Titanic. And they said this particular bacteria will dissolve the Titanic, and they gave the year a whole lot sooner than um, it would normally. So it's it's already, it, it attacks the rusted areas, and of course if you remove the rusted areas, then you expose more metal, which will then rust, and then the bacteria will feast upon that. So it won't be too long, and the Titanic will be gone. So they're trying to figure out what happens to other ships that are not at the bottom of the ocean that have rust on them. Will this bacteria attack them as well? So that's the long-range kind of a thing for it. But he had the first request. and he had the second request. Launch out into the deep let down your nets for a catch. Now Peter obeys again, but only partially. The first time he obeyed fully, didn't he? Of course, there wasn't much he was asking for. He said, can I borrow your boat? And his response was, yes. That's it. What did he have to do? Just give permission. That was it. Now he's got to do stuff. He's got to push out into the deep. And he's got to take the net, let it down for a catch. He obeys, but only partially. I'll put this in your outline for you. Peter does not have to deny what has happened in order to receive what will happen. What he does need to do is obey. Now, Peter failed to do one of the requests. I'm sorry. If Peter failed to do one of the requests, he would get nothing, right? If he fails, he says basically two things. Go out into the deep, let down the net. It's basically two requests. If he fails to do either of those two things, he will not get a harvest, right? If you don't put out into the deep, you won't be able to put down your net. If you go out into the deep and don't put down your net, you can't catch anything. Impartially partially doing, I, I, I uh, lost this in your outline there, but in partially doing one or both, I put both in there, but he, he only partially did one. But it doesn't matter. If you had two requests and you partially did one or both of them, you or he would receive the harvest, though some of it most, was most likely lost. He fully does go out into the deep. He partially does let down the nets. Did you know that in the area of authority, partial obedience can still yield results? In the area of power, partial obedience yields failure. Have you seen that in the Word? In the area of power, partial obedience will result in failure. If Naaman had gone and dipped himself in the river Jordan... Six times. What would have happened? Nothing. If the lame man would not have risen up. Or if he complained about it. Or if he just simply said, well, I'll try this out. Let me try and wiggle the toe. But these folks didn't do that. In the area of power, complete obedience to whatever is commanded is necessary. In the area of authority... Partial obedience will still bring a result. It may not be as big a result as God intended, but it will still bring a result. Verse 6 When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net, singular, was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Where's the other boat? It's in the shore. Why? Cuz he only said one of them to go out. But he said for one of them to go out and to bring the nets. They got one boat going out with one net. So now they got to call the other guys, "Hey, bring those other nets. Come on out here." But they got to wait until they get there now. What happens to fish in a net if you wait? The ones that can get out, they're going to get out. So we've lost some of the harvest. Now if the harvest filled up one net, what would it have done with two? What would it have done with three? See, partial obedience, they still received all that God could give them. But because of partial obedience, it closed the door on, on the full harvest. Don't think that just because you partially obeyed God that God is holding a grudge against you and is not going not to help you out. Jesus is very aware that they took a net, that they lowered a net, but that he called for nets. So why, why does not he say to the fish, don't go in? And if they go in and say, they say, ah, we told you there wouldn't be anything here. He said, I didn't tell you to let down a net. I told you to let down the nets. But he doesn't get into that with them, does he? Their one net they brought is full. We talked about this before, but if, don't you think God knows the capacity of that net? Why doesn't God give him a responsible harvest? Right? I mean, one that won't break the net. Shouldn't God do that? Shouldn't God give you something that you can handle? Apparently, he doesn't think so. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. All right. Now they got everything in the water, but they're sinking. Is that good? You can lose the whole harvest if you think. Doesn't God know how much their boats would hold? Why has he given them so much? On partial obedience. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Now, you know, it's got to be a pretty good catch of fish for a fisherman to be astonished. Fishermen are known to embellish some things. They're, I like that commercial they have on the TV. I don't know what they advertise on there, but the guy who's telling the, the tale of this huge fish that he caught and the battle that was going on. And just in the middle of the story, his uh, buddy on the boat, where do you want me to put your fish? And he's got this little tiny thing on the end of a string. That's a great commercial. For you and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now here's the thing. He gave them a completely unrelated request. In this story... Do you get the idea that the harvest had more to do with them putting out into the sea or with them letting Jesus use their boat? Think of it this way. If they told Jesus, no, would we be reading the second part of the story? Nope. It probably wouldn't even make it in the Bible. If they do not obey the first request, We don't even have an opportunity for the second. What set up the opportunity for the second was their obedience to the first. God has given us unrelated requests to help with a harvest in our life. But sometimes we as Christians have ignored them. Because it seems completely and totally unrelated. Now, I've told this story to you many times. I'll tell it to you again. I could tell it to myself over and over again. Brother Higgin told us this story. That when he was going around traveling, he was not very prosperous in, in traveling around. And a lot of times he just had enough money to get from one meeting to the next meeting. And this particular time, he had some gas in the tank and he had 20 $25 in his pocket. And the Lord told him, he says, give that money to this brother over here. But Lord, that's all I have. But he went ahead and he gave that money to that brother over over there. And nothing came of it. No extra blessing came and he barely made it over to the next stop, but made it over to the next place that he had to be at and uh, ministered there and whatever happened, I don't know. But then uh, sometime down the road from that, God also ministered to him again. And whatever money he had in his pocket, I don't know what it was, $30, $40, whatever it was, give that to that Brother or sister over there. That's all the money I've got. I haven't gotten this. Is they don't have credit cards. That's all I've got. I've got to get to my next stop. He went ahead and he gave it to that brother over there. Eventually, he came over to this meeting, and as he's preparing for the meeting, he's uh in his uh, room. They had uh, they stayed with the the pastor, parsonage, and he was uh, in his room getting ready for the for the meeting, and all of a sudden. He had a, uh, I don't know if it was a dream, or he just saw. He saw himself in the meeting that night. He saw six wheelchairs off to his left-hand side, he said. He saw himself go over and lay hands on all six people. He saw how he prayed. He saw how he ministered. He saw what he did. And at the end of praying for them, five of the six people in wheelchairs got up, and walked, ran around the room. Five of the six. That night, he goes into the meeting. And just as he had seen it earlier in the day, he saw the six wheelchairs over on the side of the meeting. So he went through the rest of the meeting just as he had seen it. He ministered the way he was supposed to minister. He went over and laid hands on them the way he saw himself lay hands on them. He prayed for them the way he saw himself pray for them. And exactly the same thing happened. Five of the six people got up out of the wheelchairs, walked right around the room. Healed, totally healed. Afterwards, the Lord dealt with him about this. And he says, Do you know that if you had not been obedient when I asked you to give the money here and give the money there, I could not have used you there. Hmm. I keep thinking about that story over and over again. We're, there is unrelated commands that God gives us seem to have no relation to what it is that we're believing God for or need God to do. But we need to do them. And if we do, it opens the door for God to do something else for us. He's looking to do this for us. So what He does is He gives us an unrelated command. Your obedience in this area will give me the open door to be able to do something in this area. But it doesn't make sense to us. We're not even... There's not even necessarily a promise with it, just like with Peter here. There is no promise. Can I use your vote? Sometimes God will do this for us. And if we are not ready to obey, if we're not ready to do what he has said to do. Now, this can be all kinds of things. For Peter, it was Jesus needed to use something that he had. For some of us, it could be something completely different. We just got to listen to, to what it is. He may be calling for us to come in line in obedience in an area in our life that we have not yet. He may be calling for us to step out in an area of prayer or study of the word that we have not stepped out into yet. He may be calling for us to look for opportunities to minister to people that are on our workplace, in our neighborhood, wherever it might be, that we had not stepped out and looked at yet. These things can be all over the place, but what you will know is that down on the inside of you will come the knowledge, do this, yield in this area, whatever it might be. And then, of course, reasonings will come to you as well. Well, that hasn't mattered so far. Well, why should I? And these kind of things will come in, and we can reason ourselves out of it, just like people in the Bible could have reasoned themselves out of it. Why should I let this guy use my boat? I'm glad. I guess he's probably glad that he did. They caught a great number of fish. net was breaking. Filled up both boats. They were all astonished at the, at the catch. He says, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. When they brought their boats to land they forsook all and followed him. Now understand, Jesus is on the boat with them. Remember, what what did he ask to use? The boat. And then what does he say to Peter after he uses the boat? Put out to the deep. Jesus never got off the boat. That's why he's able to to interact with Jesus out there before they got to land. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Here's the Interesting part about this story. You've got to think of the whole picture to, here to see it. Did God just bless them with a choose, true, truly large harvest? What did they do with that harvest? They forsook it. Didn't they? If they left all, that would be the boats, the nets, the business. Would that not also be the fish? They forsook all and followed him. Now, there's probably other people in the same business as they are, or people that were in, because their business continued to go on once they left, and they probably took all those things in and sold them and, and got something for them. But as far as Peter, James, and John, they got nothing out of the biggest harvest they'd ever received. They forsook all, followed him. Sometimes God has blessed us with some things and we say, I can't let go of this. (laughs) God just blessed me with this. Hmm. They forsook all and followed Him. I already told you this, but many times Christians miss it on the first unrelated request. What has God asked you to do in the area of obedience that you haven't done yet? We've missed it on the first unrelated request. Now, is this authority or power? This miracle is done by authority. Because we're not creating anything. We don't need the power of God to do this. Fish are something that is under the authority of God. And Jesus apparently is able to command them to um, get in the net. I wonder if Jesus was working on the fish the night before. Fish, avoid the net. Of course, fish want to avoid the net anyway. Avoid the net. And... um, I don't know if they did that or not. But they jumped in the net this time. And fish don't do that. Fish do not do that. Now, how many of you have ever had a freshwater tank? Anybody ever had a freshwater goldfish tank? You know, Tetras, um, things like that. If you have a problem with a fish in a freshwater tank, what you do is you take your net and you go into the fish tank and you get the fish and you pull it out. If a fish dies in a freshwater fish tank... You take your net, you go in, you catch it, and you bring it out. That's what you do. I don't have a freshwater fish tank. I have a reef tank. In a reef tank, there is no such thing as catching the fish. Because of the way the reef tank is done, you got all the rocks and all the things that are on there. And the corals. you've got to be careful not to knock the corals over, not to hurt the corals, And you got the rocks and the fish know when the net comes in, you go in, Rocks. That's what you do. You've got to go in the rocks. Fish do not like nets. They avoid nets. In goldfish bowls, they would avoid them, but they can't. Because there's no place to run. In freshwater tanks, surely really no place to go. Maybe a few obstacles you can get around. But fish do not like nets. You don't have to teach them to not like nets. They just don't like them. They hide from nets. In a reef tank, you can't even put a net in to go after a dead fish because when they're dying, they go to a place in the tank that you can't get and die there. So your tank is filled with stuff to clean up the dying fish. I have stuff in my tank that will eat stuff that's dead because I can't get to it. We can't just let it sit there in the tank. It's, it's quite fun. But I know this. Fish do not like nets. They don't like them. They run from them. Have you watched Nemo? Then you know, fish don't like nets. John chapter 21. After these things, this is after Jesus was killed, raised up on the third day. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. So the boat is still there. Somebody else has it. Somebody else is using it. And though they left it, they still have access to it. And so they go back and they gain access to the boat. Let's go out. Let's go for some, let's go fishing. And they go and they fish fish. And they caught nothing. Now for most of us we would think, "Ah, oh, deja vu. But how many times do you think they have probably gone fishing and caught nothing? And then nothing happened. So it's not necessarily something that you would d- jump out at you. But the, when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Now, Think of this from the disciples' point of view. Who is saying this to them? No, some guy on the shore. Right? They don't know it's Jesus, but some guy on the shore is telling them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Where are the fishermen at? They're in the boat. Where are the non fishermen at? They're on the shore. If you are Peter, if I'm Peter, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying to John, here's another guy who knows how we ought to do our job and can do our job better. I don't see him having any boats. I don't see him out there fishing. Couldn't you have that attitude? Has anyone ever tried to tell you how to do your job better who has never done your job? What's your response when they do that? (laughs) Does anybody welcome their input? Oh, man, I really appreciate that input. Boy, I am glad uh, uh, about that. I didn't watch any of the football games yesterday, but I heard that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers lost the game. Do you think Aaron Rodgers will have people come up to him today and say, Why didn't you do? People who have never played football. People who couldn't throw the football 10 yards. People who have never faced a linebacker trying to take their head off, are going to tell Aaron Rodgers how he could have played a better game. And what do you think Aaron Rodgers' response is going to be to that? So they don't know that this is Jesus. They just think it's some guy on the shore who's poking their nose in their business. Have you any food? They answered him, no. He said, I'm casting that on the right side of the boat. You will find some. <laughs> now, the first time they did this, it wasn't which side the net was on. The net just had to be in the water. So they're fishing on this particular side. What if they had already put it on the right side? And now they worked it on the right side. Now they're working on the left side. There's one other note I, I kind of think about with this one. They say, put it on the right side. If you are on a boat, is there a right side to the ship? There is not. I'll ask my my Navy folks. What's the right side of the ship? Is that starboard? All right. Right side of the ship? That's starboard. You don't say right side of the ship to a Navy guy. He's going to laugh at you. You don't say the front. You don't say the back. They have words for all of them. Unique to a boat. And if you don't speak in that language... You have identified yourself as a non-fisher, a non-boat person. And you, being unskilled in the area of boats, are going to say, and don't say, well, they didn't have that language then. Go read Paul. How does Paul describe the boat? He uses correct terminology. If Paul knew correct terminology, don't you think Peter, James, and John did? So here's Jesus on the boat. Throw it on the right side. The the what side? (laughs) we got a novice here. And he's telling us how to fish. Put it on the other side of the boat. Can you believe that? How stupid do you have to be to think that all the fish are on the right side of the boat? Because we're on the left side of the boat. The fish aren't here, but if we put it on the right side. But they don't know that it's Jesus. And he says, put it on the right side of the boat. And they do it. I think that's amazing. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So they throw it on the right side. And now the thing is full. Full. Nothing all night. Nothing. Nothing. Put it on the other side of the boat. All kinds of fish are in it. They just did it. Therefore, the disciples. The, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who do you think that is? John said to Peter. It is the Lord. Now it's, it's. It's interesting to note. When we saw the first story of the fish, who wrote about that? Who wrote that? Remember what, what verse we were in. Luke wrote about that. Luke. Luke's not a fisherman. Luke is a doctor. Who were the major players involved in the first story? Peter, James, and John. How many of those guys wrote a gospel? If your response is one, John, you would be wrong. The response is two. James did not write a gospel, but Peter did. It's called the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark got his stories from Peter. So when you see the Gospel of Mark, it's really Peter's account. As he gave it to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. So two of the guys involved in the first story wrote Gospels, and neither included it. Isn't that interesting? The one who included it is Luke, who at best was on the shore. The guy's in the boat. They didn't write about it. There's something interesting here. But John's the one who writes about this one. He's one of the ones in the boat. He's the one that Jesus loves. And he's the one who recognized it is the Lord. He's basically saying this. I was the first guy to realize that. Nobody else quite figured it out quite as fast as I did, but I figured it out. I said, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon people heard, heard it from who? Heard it from John. Basically, he's saying this. When... When Peter was enlightened, because I told him that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. How many of you folks put a coat on before you go into the water? Not what you're supposed to do. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. He's already got fish, and he wasn't even in the water. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Did they catch it? Really? They caught They were out there laboring and working all that, all night long, caught nothing. Jesus says, put it on the right side, and then they catch it. He says, the fish you just caught. Yeah, the, the ones you helped us to catch. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Not just fish, large fish. I don't know what a large fish is to a fisherman. But it's not a sunny. It's a large fish. 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Two things you can learn from this one, they were probably using the good net. And two, when you fully obey what God says, your harvest will be bigger. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish he came and they and he fed them. Now we find out that this is the third time he had appeared to them. If Jesus already appeared to you a couple of times already. And he says to you, put the nets on the other side. Wouldn't you kind of surmise that it was Jesus? Now when we receive from authority, it's different from power. In power, complete obedience is necessary before the connection can be made. Because it's connection. Just with electrical power, you can't have partial connection. You're either on or you're not. In authority, partial obedience can still result in at least a partial harvest. What Jesus does in this area is the same thing he did in the area of power. When he asked Peter, can I use your boat? It is a question of location. Where are you? Where are you? Are you at a spot where you will let someone you don't know use something that you have? It's a question of location. If Peter says, no, you may not, then we've just located him as someone that cannot be blessed. But when he says, sure, go ahead, we have located him. It also does this. This is a huge lesson that you, that you really have to learn if you're going to minister in the authority of God. If someone is going to receive from Jesus, they must submit to his authority. Now we're talking receiving the authoritative area. If you're going to receive from Jesus ministering by the authority that he has, you must submit to his authority. If you refuse to submit to his authority, you can't receive what you need in the area of authority. Now some of those people could receive in the area of power if they did the things to make the connection. but in the area of authority, if you will not submit to the authority that Jesus has, you cannot receive from the authority that Jesus has. can't do it. Now I say that all to you for this. If someone is going to receive from the authority That you have, they must submit to the authority that you have. Not that God has. If people in your life will not submit to the authority that you have in God, they cannot receive from the authoritative power that you have in God. And here's where Christians mess this thing up. Because we try and take authority in people's lives who have not first submitted to the authority. That's why it doesn't work. When Jesus operates in the area of authority, he does some things to locate them and to see if they are submitted to his authority. If they are submitted to his authority then they can receive from the authority that he has been given. Remember, in the body of Christ, authority is given. It is not earned. It is given. And when it is given to us, what are we supposed to do with it? Freely give. That doesn't mean just throw it all out there. It means when you find an opportunity to give it, freely give it. But you've got to find the opportunities. What are the opportunities to give it? You can do some things to find out. Now, we're not talking about will they submit to God? Will they submit to you? Well, no one should submit to me. Well, then that's why you're not going to have anything ministering going on in this area. When Peter operated in the book of Acts, did people submit to the authority of Peter? Did they submit to the authority of Paul? Did they submit to the authority of Barnabas? Did they submit to the authority of John? If people submitted to the authority of Paul, was Paul not then able to minister in that area? What happened to people who did not submit to the authority of Paul? Nor did they receive. If we need to receive something from the authority of God, we need to submit to God. If we need to receive from the authority that God has placed in a brother or sister's life, we need to submit to them. Have you ever gone to a meeting? Not, not you, but you know, been to a meeting and sat next to someone who said something like this. They're up there, person's up there ministering. Well, I think that person's a quack. What is that person going to receive from that meeting? Nothing. You shut it down. Because I refuse to submit to the authority of that person because first off, I don't recognize that they have authority. Remember with Jesus, we already talked about this one in this in this series, but... Remember when Jesus asked the Pharisees a question? Where does the baptism of John come from? Does it come from God or does it come from man? Where do you see that authority coming from? It's a question of location. Find out where you're at on this thing. Authority is different from power. Power, you just need to make a connection. With authority, it's a little different. I put this in your outline for you. The level to which we learn to submit is the level we receive our harvest on. The level to which we learn to submit is the level we receive our harvest on. You think about this in any area of the body of Christ. If you're in a worship service and something happens and you decide, I I don't like the way that person's moving. I don't like the way they're dressed. I think if you're going to lead people in the worship of, of God, You should not be wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And they are resistant. What will they receive in that meeting as far as the worship is concerned? Nothing. They shut it down. We can shut down what God wants to do through people. The Word of God says, And God gave gifts to men. And He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers and so forth for you to receive from. But if you shut down what that person has, you won't receive the authority that they're under. You won't receive their blessing either. You won't receive what it is that they're trying to to bestow upon you. You have to first off do that. This is why Satan works so hard to cause schisms and rips in church, amongst church people, and amongst ministers of the gospel. This is why when Brother Creflo daughter buys a plane, a jet, that it's stirred up in the body of Christ. How dare he buy that? Because if I can get you to not submit to his authority, you will not receive what his authority brings. You name the minister, it doesn't matter who it is, whoever it might be. If the devil can get you to not submit to their authority. He can keep you from receiving the gifts that God gave them. I understand ministers come on through. They may say something you may not like. They may dress a way that you don't like. They may talk a way that you don't like. They may act a way that you don't like. But until that bothers you, you can receive anything from that person. As soon as the door is open and it bothers you and it hinders you, You will not receive what that person has to give. And you will not be blessed with what God wants you to be blessed with. That's why submission is so important. We have to understand these things in relationship to, to our life. There's authority and there's power. What is yielded in the area of authority is not yielded in the area of power. What is yielded in the area of power is not yielded in the area of authority. They are different. They are separate. And they are there to minister to different needs. What is it that you need to minister from or to? In the pharmaceutical area, when I was back in my microbiology days, there's a, there's a third group outside of this. It's very small. But basically, all the bacteria was put into, into two categories. Gram-positive and gram-negative. Is that new terminology for anybody? Anybody ever not heard that terminology before? uh, Gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. When they develop uh, medications, a medication will attack either a gram-positive or a gram-negative. Now, it's been a while since I've been in it. I believe penicillin is a gram-positive medication. Are you... Charlie's not... Okay, good. I got that one right. (laughs) He's got more medical training than I do. So, <laughs> If you take penicillin and try and attack a gram-negative bacteria, it will fail. As powerful as penicillin is. If you take authority and try and put it into an area where power is needed, it will fail. If you take power and try and put it where authority is needed, it will fail. God has covered all the things that are out there that can hit you by giving you authority and power. All you need to know is, what do I need? And then you tap into it. And you see how tapping into it is different? It's very consistent in the word. But how many have never, never thought about authority and power this way before? This is all brand new thinking to you. Never, never thought of it this way. It's important for us to understand it. Because we're trying to access it. And if you're trying to access the power of God through the rules of authority, you will fail. And it's not because God wants you to fail, and it's not because it's complex. How many can see this is not complex? This is really simple. If you want to receive from authority, submit to authority. To submit to that authority. If you want to receive from power, make the connection. That's all. And God will tell you how to make the connection. There's still more stories in the New Testament. There's still more that are going to shed light on this. There's still more that are going to help us understand power. And authority. But in this particular story, all we're dealing with is authority. Because fish bow to the name of Jesus. And if God says to the fish, swim to the right side of the boat, they swim to the right side of the boat. Because that's what fish do. They obey God. Well, folks, if Jesus could tell fish to swim to the right side of the boat, can you? All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Yeah. Now you've got to find a reason for for that within the will of God because you're submitted to the will of God. But you find a reason in the will of God where all the fish need to swim to the right side of the boat, you can do it. You can do it. Authority and power. Would you all stand up with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you that in this life, whatever it is that we need to be ministered, Two, whenever we need to receive, whether it be a touch from the power of God or the authority of God to step into our life to move things or for us to step out in in authority and move the things on our own. Father, I thank you that we can do it. You have equipped us in your word. You have taught us what we need to know. Everything is there. Our eyes just need to open to understand. Because there's nothing complex about this. As long as we learn it. As long as we know it. See it in the word of God. Father I thank you for the help that you give us. There are some things in our life. That are going on right now. And we need the authority of God to work. In order for that to happen. We need to be submitted to the authority of God. There are some ministers. That have a gift that we need to receive from. In order for us to receive. From that minister. We need to submit to that person, to that authority that person is under. We need to submit to them. We need not to be judging them. We need not to be speaking about them because that's not submission. But if we submit to that authority, we can receive what that authority has to give. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in this. I thank you. Those that are here, you're going to go out and you're going to minister in the power of God. You're going to minister in the authority of God. Just because you, all authority has been given to God and just because you walk in that does not mean that everything in everyone's life you'll be able to deal with. They need to show that they will submit to you. That they're not resistant to you, but that they will submit. and that they, Because without submission, they can't receive and here's the thing about this. The devil comes in and he tries to tell us, no, don't, don't take that submission from them. You're, you're not worthy of that. And that's wrong. Jesus allowed people to submit to him. It doesn't mean that they bow and they worship you. It just means it says that they submit. If they're not willing, then they can't receive. Don't just throw a prayer out there and see if it'll do any good. Lead us in that song. I haven't sung that song a long time. Come on, who's over? I'm not leading it. I know that one's over. <laughs> come on, someone from the worship team, come on up. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we can come. You had something last week. Does it fit in this week? I forgot what it was already. here. No? you just know, tell me where it fits? I think sort of did. The, 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 yeah, grab a microphone around here. And she got something last week and showed it to me, and I was going to have it going on there last week, and it uh, went out of my head. Came back in this morning.
1: i as we were in worship but um god was talking to me and he says don't let the rocks cry out in your place and that kept hitting at me and i'm like okay i've heard this before and so um <laughs> she explains it and he says they won't cry out in a pleading voice They won't cry out, Oh God, help me, my situation is too big. No, they will cry out with a mighty voice of praise and adoration. Of Abba, Father, you alone are worthy of praise. They They cried with a loud voice of praise to bring down the wall of Jericho. Again, it was not a pleading cry of, Oh God, help us, this wall is too big. It was a shout of confident praise. We don't need to be pleading as we are crying to God to break our walls down and crying out in praise, and in crying out in adoration of what he does. He says, your walls will not come down with pleas of desperation. They will come down with shouts of declaration of faith, praise, and adoration.
0: Mm. Things for us to learn. Don't let the rocks, don't let other things take your place. Don't let other things take your place. Be careful in your, in your own life. There are... The enemy is always trying to stir up strife in the body. Because if he can stir up strife in the body, then he keeps you from receiving from the body. And Paul taught us, so the body grows by what each joint supplies. We're not going to grow if we cut off what those joints are supplying. When the temptation comes to talk about brother or sister so-and-so, the way they wear their hair, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they buy planes, buildings, the house they live in, whatever it might be, put it out. Because it's not there from God. And if Satan can just get you to have some strife with a person, either minister or non-minister, whoever it is, he will close the door from your, you, your spiritual walk, being able to receive from that one. And if he keeps cutting off more and more and more and more, your growth stunts. You don't grow at all. And he's quite happy with that. We have some uh, praise reports for, for today?
2: I don't know if there's any other praise reports. No okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I... In line with what Pastor was teaching on today about the authority, you know, I had an opportunity this week at my um, at my father's funeral to walk in that. Um, you know, you you can't dictate how somebody's going to respond to truth. You can't dictate to how somebody's going to respond to the authority that's in you and just like Pastor was saying today that we have the choice to whether we receive from that authority or not and um, all we need to do is be obedient and you know I in preparing for um, my dad's funeral some of the things that kept coming up in my heart was you know the living out daily the word of God you know the word of God says you know as much as is within your ability be at peace with others not everybody's going to be at peace with you. Not everybody's going to receive your peace. And as much as it's hard for us because, you know, the love of God in us wants to, to have that, it's not always going to be there. But if we just remember that our one and only, <laughs> you know, person that really matters is whether or not we're being obedient to him, um, he'll, he'll work the rest out. So my praise report is I am so grateful for this family. Um, You don't know how much your prayers, honestly, when I say I felt your prayers, I mean they were my lifeline for this week. And I just thank you all for your cards and your well wishes. Um, this is from Ento. She says, I thank God for complete healing and restoration of my voice and throat. Amen. We got to see you up there singing again today. <coughs> Woohoo! Um, and she also says that yesterday, the Lord opened my eyes to see and understand another detail in the wonderful plans he has for me and my family. Mm-hmm. The word established new beginnings came to me as I meditated on this revelation, and I realized that this word was not only for me or my biological family, but also for someone here today. I praise God for that. Amen. Um, Jolly said, um, his ba- let's see, Jolly's baby brother's wife safely birthed twin baby girls yesterday. Praise God. And everyone is doing well. Um, I also just wanted to praise God, too. I don't know how many of you have been um, praying for Pastor Saeed. Have you all heard about him? He has been released Glory to God. I almost went through the roof yesterday when we saw this, but praise God, him and along with four, um, four others. Um, Ness says, God's been so good <coughs> these past weeks to me, and again each week. <coughs> excuse me. This week, yesterday, I spoke to Brother Jolly and asked him for a good word for the day <coughs> and he replied after a while on 1 Peter, cry out, confirming on what Alyssa said today. Praise God. See how the Holy Ghost just brings us all together? Thank you, sir. Um, (laughs) Mercy, again, praise God for his confirmation today to cry out this year. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're all here in the same. All right, thank you. And I praise God my son made it home safely.